Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Boombastic Cast. We have a treat for y'all today. Personal friend of the show, the great Courtney Gaines. You might know this gentleman from a film like Children of the Corn. You know what I mean? Or maybe, oh, yeah. maybe some films faster like Alexander Hawk likes to get fast. There's nobody faster than Alex Hawk. And uh, some films like The Burbs, fantastic masterpiece, Colors, incredible. You know, Courtney's also a super talented musician, uh, got a band doing it. You're going to hear a lot about that in this episode. Um, this was a real pleasure to sit down with Courtney. Uh, I got a chance to work with Courtney in like 2013, 2014, I think it was. We did the House Across the Street film. And, uh, it was a pleasure, man. It was, uh, it was a pinnacle. It was a beautiful thing. You know, I think to date, that's probably the biggest film that I was a producer on. And we had nice four, big old four actor, four name actors up in that thing. We was doing it big. And, um, that film will always be a beautiful part of my, my filmography. And, uh, it was a pleasure to have Courtney in that and, uh, pleasure to have him on the show. We're about to kick into it. Do you want to say anything before we uh, bring Courtney in? Uh, just that, um, I've been a big fan. Um, I mean, I loved him in, of course, Chilling of the Corn. Um, go check out Chilling the Corn episode uh, that we did for Dead Kids Dairy. That was a lot of fun. We, we had fun. We joked around, but, uh, it's, it, it's still a fun, fun, fun film. And definitely, I think, uh, that Quentin Gaines, uh, character definitely, uh, is, is the highlight of that film. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, and um, there's also, uh, more, more recently, he was in the sequel to Becky, which is Wrath of Becky, yeah. which, um, if anyone yeah. knew, was Becky was the one where you had uh, Kevin James as a skinhead. Personally, my opinion, his best performance ever. <laughs> uh, and in this one, you have Sean William Scott as, as the lead villain, and... Um, you have uh, Courtney Gaines, who's uh, playing uh, Twig in, in that. And that was nice seeing him. And he has a bunch of other things coming out. And like uh, Matt said, the music going on. So he's keeping busy, and he's he's very multi-talented and a lot of fun uh, to talk to. Hell yeah. So with that being said, let's get into some films and some music with the great Courtney Gaines. Courtney, welcome to the Boombastic cast. Boombastic! Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's been a long time coming, I feel. You know, me and Courtney worked uh, together years ago on the House Across the Street film. So, right. Yeah, it's very cool to have him been a fan. Yeah, good to see you again. And you've been talking, we've been talking about doing this for a while. I kept saying, wait for the record to come out, wait for the record to come out. And it kept getting pushed, it kept getting pushed. I thought it had been out a lot earlier this year, but it's finally coming out October 2nd. So, heck yeah. Yeah, we're excited for it. Safe Haven. Yes, sir. Everybody be on the lookout for that. That's, you know, yeah, you know, everybody check out Courtney's uh, YouTube page too, for sure. Go subscribe to that. There's a lot of music up there as well for them to check into and get a taste of flavor. You know what I mean? There you go. So, Alex, how you doing over there? I feel like I've been talking a lot. <laughs> I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Uh, I got to say, uh, one of the things that uh, I'm very curious about is your very first film, which is Children on the Corn, which is definitely uh, one of my favorite uh, Stephen King films. 
And yeah. also, it's it's your very first film. I'm just curious how, how you got involved in that. Yeah, so uh, so I'd been studying acting for about five years at that point. I had a my mentor was a guy named Virgil Fry. So uh, he's an actor, but he's also more famous probably for his daughter, Soleil Moon Fry, Punky Brewster. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he 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 broke he, you know he taught me in the crowd, broke me into the business, and eventually it was my manager. Um, how that gig kind of happened though was Linda Francis, who was the casting director, had seen me in a showcase. Uh, uh, which was a thing that started in the eighties where actors would, they throw like, you know, they get casting directors and agents and managers to come. They, we do like three minute scenes for them. And if they liked you, they'd, you know, take your resume or whatever. She became a fan. She cast me in a movie that didn't happen. And then that came along. And so she really championed me, uh, uh, to, you know, come in and do this audition. And then there's a famous story where I pulled a fake knife on the, the casting director, put it in his, underneath his throat and shit, which is what you're not supposed to do. Yeah. It was actually a reader. He went on to become a very big casting director, and he would still tell people to this day, don't ever do that in an audition, which I agree. But I was young and hungry and crazy, and I took a risk, you know? I, lo- I love hearing when the actor goes the extra, like, mile on it. I remember we, uh, we do indie film, and I remember... Uh... There was an actress that came in playing a mother, and when she came in, she brought like silverware and plates with her in a bag. So wow. when she, she she sat down to the table, yeah, she started like setting the the table for everybody. And I never forgot that. You know what I mean? That was quite a impact. You know what I mean? Again, some casting directors would say that's a no no. Don't bring props. So there's there's a lot of rules they have, but yeah. sometimes you break the rules, and sometimes it has a good impact. You know, so. It, it, she had great prop comedy, but the acting thing wasn't hers, so she didn't quite get the role. <laughs> but you know, I, I always, to this day, I still remember her doing that. So she right. did right. You know what I mean? Well, that's something I learned over the years too. Is that you, you, you know, just because you didn't get the job didn't mean you you didn't leave an impression. You know, uh, yeah. I remember I think Twenty One Jump Street. I went for like the, the pilot or something, or a couple of dishes. Didn't get it. A year later, I got I I got something, and as soon as I got there, the producer was like, "Yo, I remember you. You were wearing this, this, and I mean, he remembered the outfit I was wearing, you know, from like a year ago." You're just like people, you know, you just don't know what people remember, and if they may be trying to find a job for you down the road, so you just gotta stay positive, keep showing up, keep doing your job, you know. That's the thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, I dig it. Although some actors get discouraged if they audition for the same show three or four times and then don't get something, they start taking it personal, and, and that that's not going to work out because if you come in with an attitude, they're not going to see you again. You know, I auditioned for uh, My Name Is Earl for four seasons till I got a till I got a guest star on there, and I got by far the best job I auditioned for. So it wasn't that they you know didn't like me; they kept bringing me back. They were trying to find a job, and in the end, I ended up getting the be- the best job. So. But there, like I said, some people get bent out after a while. They're like, well, what do you want? Just tell me what you want. That's not going to get it. <laughs> you know, you got to yeah. keep it going in there being positive, doing your gig. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's not, that's like great advice, too, because and it's a, it's a small community when you're going to the same type of people back and forth. You know, if you, if, if you lose kind of, you know, if, if you fall out of their grace, if you will, so that's definitely not a good luck for you. No, def- definitely not. I, and I, you know, another piece of advice I always give is if you can get three casting directors in L.A. Uh, to believe in you, you can work. You know, like it's it, that because they're the gatekeeper, man. If you don't have those people in your corner, you're, you're not going to get seen. So if you can get three to be like, you know, like, I mean, Linda Francis made all the difference in the world. For whatever reason, she took a liking to what I did and she made her a mission to find me a job. And that changed my changed the trajectory of my life, you know? Yeah. I guess he left. 
He's uh, well, he gets very emotional. He doesn't like people to see him get you know. Cr- <laughs> like there he is. He's back. He's a good guy. He's trying. He's trying. So, with Children of the Corn being your first film, right now we all know it to be a cult classic. Did it pop when it first came out, or was it one of those one of those kind of slower things? No, it popped because I started getting recognized everywhere I went, so it popped. But that being said, horror was considered, you know, B movies. It wasn't taken Absolutely. seriously by critics. The critics panned the hell out of it. The critics panned me. They panned everybody, but they panned the movie. Um, I don't, I think that, uh, they would be very, they were very surprised. I think from the eighties to now 40, you know, children of the corner, 40th anniversaries next, next year. Yeah. Uh, I think they would be very surprised to find out that we're on the right side of history and they're on the wrong side of history, that horrors right. become completely mainstream. I don't think that they would have ever seen that coming. That's true. I mean, you're a great talent and you've been blessed to jump through genres, you know what I mean? But did you ever find that horror label to be a kind of a burden or was it kind of a good thing because you knew that it almost, you know, that you're good in that genre that, you know, there'll be, there'll always be approaches, you know? Now, I really, after the impact of that character, I wasn't even thinking so much it's horror and then I'm stuck in that genre, but just the impact of uh, playing the heavy, you know, playing yeah. that character Malachi. I made a very conscious decision in, in my 80s, end up having a really good 80s run. I made a very conscious decision to not play the same role twice. And I ended up being able to achieve that. And thus, like you said, I am, ended up having a hit in you know, almost every genre. And that, in the end, I think having that body of work really helped me make the transition into adult acting because I showed I could do more than one thing, you know? Yeah. I showed that I was really, you know, a character actor. I could play many types of roles and, and, and I could do comedy. I could do drama, you know, and I think that served me well. And in the nineties, you know, a lot of the pivot was to a guest starring on television. And that was just because of the market. There was really no, I was no longer a teenager, but I wasn't in my thirties. There really wasn't a lot in that gap at that time. So I, I made at that point, I made a decision to, you know, grow my hair long again, comb it back, grow goatee, look as close to 30 as I could. And I knew I could play Mad Dogs. And I did a run of Mad Dogs, you know, guest starring on TV. I played a lot of heavies. And that served me well. But it was, but I had I not had that body of work, I wouldn't have been able to make that transition, you know? Yeah. For sure. For it's sure. easy to get pigeonholed. And you're going to be pigeonholed to some degree anyway. But at that point, then, you know, some one person might see Camp by Me, they're like, oh, this, I, you know, oh, this guy is really more the boy next door comedy. And that's the, they'll see me for those roles. Somebody else sees children in the corner. They're like, oh, no, he only does bad guys. I'll see him for that role. So I had different casting directors seeing me in different lights, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're like hard bodies, of course, you know, Can't Buy Me Love. These are like staples of the time, you know, uh, you, 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 the swing of it, it's, uh, and it's so cool because like movies are so pop culture and everybody loves them so much that it's really you, you go right into the hearts of everybody. Like that's why movies are so great and music as well. Which you it's know. all it's right place, right time, right? So yeah. I was I was fortunate enough to you know when teen cinema was blowing up in the eighties, I was I was you know I had training behind me, which gave me a definite edge over a lot of young actors. But also the key was to be eighteen so you could legally work forty hours or whatever it was but look 15, which I did. So there was a lot of things that tipped at the right place at the right time. Then you just have to seize that opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely cool. We got, uh, well, back, we'll pop back to the future, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah who knew, you know, who knew I mean, Robert Zemeckis was going to go on to be, you know, as huge as he was at that point. And who knew that 
that would go on to be one of the biggest trilogies of of, of all time. Just Amazing. even have a small role in in a in a one of the biggest trilogies in in Hollywood history is just mind blowing to me. You know. Yeah. Do you do you have any early memory of a young Zemeckis? You know, on set, what you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the main the main thing that took that I was mo- the most took the most time was <clears throat> was the dance, right? Yeah, we shot that for like three days. Really? And he shot it any and every way he could think of. I mean, we just shot and shot and shot and shot. What I mainly remember is with him because he was pretty easygoing. Yeah. Uh, uh, pretty mellow, but uh, Crispin, who I'm a huge fan of, the first thing I ever did was an AFI film with him, where he, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a story for another time. Maybe we'll circle back <laughs> to it. But I already knew Crispin, so I was hanging out with him a bit on set, which was nice to know somebody. But Crispin is super creative, and he always wanted to do another take. So after every take, he go to Zemeckis and go, "Hey, let's do another one. I can do." This. He's like, "No, Crispin, it's fine. No, no, I can do this. No, Crispin is fine. He, no, Crispin." It's fine. We're moving on. <laughs> you know, he would drive. He drove Zemeckis crazy, man. It was hilarious. Because, but, but, he's, but he's just so creative. He always has another idea. He always has another thing he can do. You know, he's he. I think Crispin's a uh, fantastic actor. I, you can't stop. You can't take your eyes off him. You know, Crispin Glover is very like almost underrated. I feel like he, I agree. He's like a almost a, like a, he's got like a Christopher Walken type vibe of his like you know what I mean his elk so to speak. <laughs> Well, it's very complicated. Who knows for sure what the deal is? But, you know, when they wanted him to be in Back to the Future 2, and he asked for a lot of money, I guess, and they said no. Then they used somebody They used somebody else and used his likeness. They put a, put a facial cast on him. Well, oh, Christmas, Christmas sued Universal, Spielberg. He sued them all. He was pissed off. And he ended up getting a huge settlement. I don't know the number, but it wasn't small. <laughs> and I think though you go against the studio like that, you're probably going to be blacklisted a little bit. I would be my, would be my guess. Sure, so, sure. Uh, but I, but he, uh, he, he, he literally changed the course of you know, history in Hollywood in that way that nobody will ever do that. It's like le- there's a legal precedent now that you can't just use somebody's likeness because you feel like you can, you know. That's kind of like what we're going through right now with all this AI stuff. He was like super. Did somebody give him a crown. He's super ahead of his time. Yeah. yeah. We worked again on a show called Texas Rising, a mini series, and he still, even though he had that settlement, is still, you know, pissed off about it. He really felt they did him wrong. And I I, I agree, but, you know, he had the guts to go against the studio system. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but you're right. It is a precedent for AI. And that, that leads us to the conversation of the strike a little bit. And, uh, I've, I've, I've certainly, you know, saw this moment coming, you know, at least 10 years ago, maybe, maybe 15 or 20. But uh, I remember that, that time we, there was a Paula Abdul commercial with her dancing with Fred Astaire. And I was like, it's, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I think that that's, you know, all act, all the actors are asking for at this point is if you're going to use my voice or use my likeness in any way that I'd be compensated. I can't control you. Not wanting you want to use a clip from you know Malachi in the background in the cornfield. I can't stop you, but you yeah. should pay me for it. You know, I yeah. think that, I think that that's legit. You know, well, even on the music side of things, aren't they doing that with really big artists now too, where they're buying their catalog out from the family, so to speak, so they just own everything and they don't have to start keep don't have to continue to pay out. Like that's the new thing. There is that option, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, 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 that, that, it, it, music, it's even more complicated, like who owns yeah. you know, this rights or that rights or the master rights or blah, blah, blah. But if if they're there and they want to buy them, they can't. I mean, that's 
again, talking about the strike. Yeah. If you look back at what happened in the music industry, I think it's exactly what's happening now. So when, when music went digital, that was the beginning of the end for the music industry because the CD that they were making for a dollar selling for fifteen ninety nine is was gone. Right. So what the music industry started doing was pivoting to catalogs, which is just what you were talking about. If you look at like uh, Warner Brothers uh, Studios, which was right where I used to live near Tuca, uh, Toluca Lake, they had five major labels underneath them, Atlantic, uh, Epic. They bought all those up, and then they bought a bunch of smaller ones too. So they own this giant catalog of music now. And how they really make their money now is they sell it to commercials, to films, to television. And then when people, like kids, see those songs, like they see it, hear a Journey song, they go, oh, what's that song? That's cool. Then they go find Journey, and then they buy some songs. Yeah. And that's and that's how they did the one well, the way bands make money nowadays though, is to be touring, you know. Uh, so they don't they don't make money selling records anymore. So it's I think the same exact thing as film has now gone digital is the same exact things happening. It's going to hurt movie theaters. There's no DVDs to buy anymore, you know. And uh, uh, and this, and the and the main thing for actors is the residual income from streaming. They're not paying anything now. Whereas in television streaming, when things went from the movies to cable to television, you saw residual income. And for an actor of, you know, my size, you know, a middle class actor, that's the difference between paying your rent that month when things are slow or not. It's just that simple. So that's why they're that's why the the strike is, you know, they're holding so tough on the strike, because if we don't have that residual income, essentially the middle class actors toast. I mean, that's just, and if the middle class actors toast, which it may happen, you know, like I said, I've, I've saw this coming for a long time. Yeah. I think that the, you're, you're going to lose a lot of the, the best talent because if they can't make a living at it, they're going to go do something else. Right. It's like, if, you know, if they're, if it's, if either that or they're going to be willing to have a side hustle, but there's going to be people who are just going to be like, ah, I'll just do real estate or ah, I'll just do that. You know, like where are the smartest minds now? They're in Silicon Valley. Why? Because that's where the money is. Yeah. yeah, it's like that thing I say, you know, you could almost like with that, that middle class deal, it's like the supporting, the supporting cast, you know, you can always, you can say you could have a star, might not, yeah. don't have to be the best actor, but that supporting cast will save the movie, you know what I mean? Right. You, people. you need stars to put butts in seats and whatever that is that causes that is what makes a star, right? They don't necessarily, they don't necessarily have to be the best actor, but yeah, it's sometimes it's highly underrated. How important, how important the supporting cast is. It's, it's actually a really good word for it, supporting cast, you know. And I've I've been mainly a supporting cast, of course, my career. But I've also had times where I've been the lead or I've done a lead in a play. And I'll tell you, you really realize how important it is to have those people around you. When you're like the person on stage the entire time, somebody comes on, he knows really great, is going to carry the next 15 minutes of the show. You kind of get to take a little bit of a break and they like, they write, you know, they, you kind of get to get to breathe a little bit and then get to the next thing. I started to realize, my God, it really, it really does matter. Your supporting cast yeah, really does seen. matter. And I think that, I think you've already seen it <clears throat> get weaker also with, uh, you know, nowadays there's a lot of regional, like I'm in the Southeast now, you know, there's a whole Southeast market, the Atlanta market and where they're casting local actors and, and, the, and the local pool's gotten better. Don't get me wrong, but you could see at times where the talent level is not what it was in LA. Uh, and, but they're doing it to save money too. They'll hire local talent to save money. And, uh, you can see the, the talent pools, not what it was, at least not in my mind. And, it's. I think you're gonna. You know. I think. I think you see the same thing in music now too. Though I don't think you see in the '60s and '70s. You probably saw the best, some of the best, brightest minds of their generations doing music because 
it was fun and they could <clears throat> and they could make money at it. Yeah. <clears throat> but now, I mean, I think again, I said all the brightest minds are in Silicon Valley. I got to get a glass of water. Let me get a uh, water. I'll be right back. Cool, cool, cool. Alex, you with us, Bubba? Yeah, sorry about that. It keeps on kicking me out. No worries, man. No worries. We're in the we're union. In. Come on, Alex, get it together, man. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. My 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 phone is is kicking my ass right now. I mm. apologize. It's a phone. That's why I was doing it. He had a weather issue. And yeah. In fairness to him, he yeah, they got electricity issue over there. Where you at? Mass. Uh, yeah, we got hit with a big storm yesterday, and and uh, three thousand people without power. So oh, I have I have to go with the. With, I yeah. see. I get it. Yeah, we, I'm out here in Savannah. We were, you know, last week we got, you know, luckily the the main part of the hurricane missed us, but uh, we still a lot of people did get lose their power. Fortunately, we did. But yeah, um, it's scary. Yeah, man, for sure. Like the strike. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now, right? Yeah. The world's in the world. Crazy, the world's in a crazy place, brother. Yeah. You know, you know, I always hear people saying, and not, not, well, I should say, under, like underground filmmakers always go, you know, this strike, it's going to be good for the underground filmmaker, which I, it's no, not good for anybody, realistically. I don't see, I don't see it being too good. For, I mean, yeah, you have a little more opportunity, but I feel there's always going to be that line, you know what I mean, between. Everything's, a, you know, everything's a double-edged sword. If you, yeah. if you, you could, you're right. Somebody could use the strike to maybe get hold of a, an actor that's not working or whatever, right? So it's, uh, yeah, but you take advantage of the moment. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. It's okay. But I mean, independent filmmaking, talk about an uphill slog nowadays. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow, man. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've produced a few films, but it's just tough out there. Uh, there's just no, uh, you know, when the distributors nowadays, you know, there used to be a time when they paid advances and stuff. Now they don't want to pay any advances. And there's, again, you're hitting on the, getting on these streaming services. How are you making any money? It's, I think it's, right. I think it's almost impossible for an independent filmmaker now to, to actually break out. I mean, it happens, but it's, it, it's like one in a million, man. It's very tough. It's a scary thing. I feel personally, I think that the future is in things like Patreon. Where like you can have your product there and people can do a monthly like subscription and support you monthly type deal and you put everything there. I think that's kind of probably. Well, you're right. To some degree, I think that yeah. that is happening. And, 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 and really that's circling back to the record. That's how I'm distributing this record this time is instead of going through the spot, I've tried the Spotify's and I've done the iTunes and all that. And you know, and it really just never really paid off. Yeah. Um, so this time I, I signed with a, a, a label called Fake Fang Records. And there, it's, it's you have to go there to get the record. You can either get a digital download. You can listen to the record three times, and if you like it, then you can either do a digi download. Or there's going to be a limited run of CDs, and then there's even a lower limited run option of um, of signed CDs. Oh, and since we're on the note, uh, on Monday, uh, the singles uh, Lookouts getting released, where people can go on Fake Fang Records and hear it. And if they like it, they can do a pre order. And if they do, a, if you do a pre order of the record. You can get a personalized signed CD. That's the only other way, only other way to get that would be to see me at a convention. So uh, if you wanted a personalized signed CD, go 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 pre-order the, the record. Very cool. Yeah, we'll go you know, direct this time. We're going direct, and I think we're going to do better this way. Yeah. So I, I really do. I think it's better for the artist because, like you said, if you find a distributor, they usually take a big chunk. They get their hand in the pocket pretty deep. You know what I mean? And, and what are they actually doing? Like, other than they've created the platform, okay. But, like, I haven't seen, you know, they're not helping me sell my record, you know. So, it's like this way, 
I have a, a record label who's invested in it, and I'm invested. Here I am talking about it, right? We're hustling, yeah. you know, to make it happen and get the word out. So we should see, we should see the benefits, you know, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, yeah, you know, like there should be like smaller distribution. They really just want to kind of fill up their roster, and then the filmmaker has to do all the hustling and the pushing and the promoting and marketing, and then for like and, and take all the financial risk. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Mm. It'll be inter- I'll be interested to see where the strike goes because I do. I think you know there's beneficial things for everybody in there, and yeah, I think yeah. I, I think as usual the producers were ready, and they, they usually out they usually out negotiate us from what I've seen over the years. And I think what the streaming services did was you know over the last few years was just buy up a lot a lot of content. Like we were talking about the record labels, they they so they like have enough content for like you know six months to a year easy, and they're starting to invest in. Uh, uh, you know the uh, that Squid Game when that broke out, the whole Korean market opened up. They're investing in Korean film uh, and a lot of films. You know that they're going to be streaming. I think they think it's a worldwide game now. I think the technology is now so cheap to make movies and stuff. It's not like it used to be when you shoot thirty five millimeter film and it costs a lot of money. Um, I think that there's a. I think that it's not just about Hollywood anymore. I think that the whole world cinema is blowing up. What's going on in India? What's going on in Korea? And so again. They, you know, the unions aren't as strong as they were. You know, they're not the only game in town. Yeah, for sure. But we'll see where it goes. I, I, uh, I forget who it was, but uh, it was one of the high up producers said something about like your studio heads was like, we're not going to fold until they're like starving and losing their house. It was, it was Bob Iger, and it was a, it was a, yeah. He he became the the face of evil at that point. Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah, that was a pretty cold thing to say, but. Maybe yeah, you know, and Disney's in a lot of trouble right now. Anyway, so we'll see how they. I I think they'll come out of it, but because they have, they have. I mean, they you know they own ESPN, ABC, like they own a lot of stuff. They yeah. own, it's not just Disney, but um, they're kind of the uh, they're kind of the uh, the hated entity right now because of what he said. Well, that's cold stuff. I mean, look at the way they're treating the people that create for them. What do you think they feel about the audience that they're selling to? You know what I mean. Yeah, Disney. Right. Disney's always been good to me. I've had a lot of success through Disney. Yeah. Uh, Can't buy me love came throughout. Came out through Touchstone, Sweet Alabama, Sweet Home Alabama. But that being said, the reputation of Disney is that they're notoriously cheap. Yeah. <laughs> the people who work for them. So, uh, so yeah, they've never had the best reputation. And then he kind of went and just showed just where where they're at. So, uh, yeah, he's he's the he's the face of he's the face of the producers. The bad face of the producers right now for sure. Yeah, for shizzle. <laughs> but uh, I want to pop into a film that I love. Uh, yeah. Dennis Hopper directed Colors. Yeah, man. Magnificent. It's such ahead of its time. Movie yes. made, I, I cry at the end of that movie every time. I, you know, that, that ending scene is like, it's so impactful. It's crazy. It's, it's uh, uh, that uh, Duvall's death scene is personally the best work i've ever seen you know live you know yeah. I, was, I was uh you know two feet away from him you know yeah and uh and 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 after it i i like like i was just so blown away like a little kid i had to go up to him and go, i was like i was like dude that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he was very humble and he was like oh i wish they had used my first take i wish my first take my master was the close-up because I, I i don't have i don't have another one like that in me and it was true. So what happened was right before they were ready to film, there was a problem with the light and yeah. they, 
So he was already on the ground and all ready to go, right? Like, you know, they call him in. You know, it's go time. You know, the actor builds to that moment. They come in. They're ready to go. They're like, I'm sorry. We have a light problem. And it was like 45 minutes he was lying on the ground. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is Robert DeVos, 2 o'clock in the morning, and he's in the dirt. Like, what are you doing? And finally, Dennis Albert comes in and goes, okay, we're ready. You ready? He's like, yeah, I'm ready. And then he just killed, right? Just killed. But it was the master. Yeah. And, and after you know, they did the close-ups, and the close-ups were good, but the master was like special, you know. Yeah. And if you you'll notice now, you, you're a film the film watcher, you'll notice when they go into the close-up, you'll look. It's grainy a little bit, and it's yeah. kind of at a weird tilt. It's because they blew up into that master. Okay, I have wondered that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and it was a brilliant move to make because two reasons. One, because the performance was fantastic, but the way the film was shot, Haskell Wexler is you know like a, a you know award winning uh, a, a cinematographer, but for like documentary style stuff, so like that handheld, the steady cam, so you could get away with that, like you know a little more like you know jump in like that real grit feeling because that's the way the whole film was shot. Uh, but I thought that was a brilliant move to go in there and get that because you literally see the film as he as it's right as he just as the moment he dies the kind of the film like lightens up for a second. There's almost like yeah. this little I'm like they, like the dude like affected the freaking 35 millimeter. You know what I mean? Like it's something yeah. coming. I mean yeah. he's a shaman, dude. It was it was incredible. It was it's the finest piece. Like I said, it's the finest piece of work. I I was already a huge Robert Duvall fan. Yeah. And uh, he just more, he just really delivered, man. I love the, you know, the documentary style when you talked about the cinematographer coming from that. I love when they, when that, you know, William Freakin, who rest in peace, just passed away, was big, known for like a lot of that documentary yeah. type thrown. It's like The Exorcist and stuff like that. But, best horror film ever made it. I mean, I don't see how you can argue it. People I say, what's the best? I mean, The Exorcist scared the crap out of me as a kid. The crap horror. out of me. Horrify. That's that's my the, the number one for me too. It's just I think it's the whether you're religious or not. I think it's that the devil thing. There's so it's so iffy there. It's scarier than a Michael Myers or Jason because it's this spiritual monster that like maybe I would have to deal with this person. Right. To me, the, the premise of any good movie, people are like what genre? I don't care about genres. I care can I possibly believe this? And yeah. I felt like you know I was able to believe that concept that this world that this girl, you know. Was was inundated by evil, you know. Something had taken over. An entity was said. that 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 seemed more plausible than. I think one of the reasons Children of the Corn plays is because teenagers always there's always going to be teenage angst. Like that's like rock and roll. It never is going to end. Every, there's always going to be rebellion. And the idea of like could kids take over a small town? That's possible. You know that's that could maybe happen in a small town, right? Yeah. So. It, it it's not un you know it's possible and I think that's always the the, the key is is could this happen when you watch movies like uh, what was it like the Mission Impossible not Mission Impossible was the uh, the Charlie's Angels in the first scene they're jumping out of airplanes with no parachutes I'm like I'm out that's just not yeah. no one's jumping out of a freaking air helicopter without a parachute bro nobody's doing that <laughs> nobody's that crazy <laughs> you know so I'm already, I'm already like oh this movie's just gonna be like candy you know it's bubble not- gum, exactly yeah yeah well you know with, with 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 colors you know dennis hopper i love him he's the greatest rest in peace passed away way yeah, too man. soon yeah you know, and he was such a he was like a great actor but when he comes into the directing things he was such like it felt like almost a complicated 
artist, you know what I mean? I know like he he resented Easy Rider, I believe. Like he didn't he want his name I think he wanted his name taken off of it at one point or something like that. But uh like complicated but like super talented, you know. Well yeah, so so my mentor, Virgil Fry, helped him make Easy Rider. If you look at the credits, you'll see that he gets two credits. He's in it in a in a scene, but he's all, and he also gets a makeup credit, but he actually did more than that. And that's how I was able to get the colors I was shooting Count By Me Love with Gerardo Mejia, who ended up playing Bird in Colors as well. And he'd gotten the script, and he knew I grew up in the tough neighborhoods too. And he's like, dude, there's a white boy. And so I called my manager, there's a white gangbanger. I got to get in on this because I know there's nobody else who knows this stuff but me. You know? yeah. So when I finally when I got back into town, all I had to do was take a meeting. I didn't even have to like audition, audition, because they were having trouble finding a white guy who understood the culture. you know. But I, I said I grew up in tough Chicano neighborhoods in L.A., and there was an even obviously there was a guy named Billy Red who was a who was a redheaded kid I went to grammar school with who actually became a gangbanger and I was like I was like the day he saw that movie his mind must have been blown because like there I was basically playing him you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> um, so I always pay tribute to Billy Red uh, shout out yeah yeah but uh, yeah white white cello you know you got to be crazy to be a white cello you know you got to be, be a little crazier you know. I, I love that movie. But no, but Dennis Hopper, yeah, yeah, his his ability, you know, he was an artist. He wasn't just an actor. He was a he was you know, he's a filmmaker. He was a he was a photographer. You know, he has photography books out. He also was an avid collector of of um of art, particularly like uh pop art and op art and uh stuff like that of, of like the sixties and and uh and he he uh my mentor and he would they they collected a lot of art. My 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 art my mentor was not a, a rich man, but he had a a serious, you know, art collection because they got in the sixties, like Lichtensteins and George Herms and all these guys who became huge. And I he made us learn all that stuff. We would actually at toward the end we were actually working out of the the class out of his house and he'd have all these artists on the walls. And I'd be like, What does this have to do with acting? He's like, You're an artist. You need to know, you know, you need to know artists. And it wasn't until I went to the modern museum in New York that I, when I recognized over 50% of the artists by sight that I realized he'd gotten into me, you know, I knew who Monet was. I knew who Lichtenstein. I was like, Holy, this guy actually got in, got on, got in my brain. So now as an adult, I, I do, I appreciate that. Um, but Dennis is, Dennis is all of those things. He was, and he's always ahead of the curve. He all, he saw all that art becoming popular way before it became popular and bought and bought a lot of like getting Tiffany lamps when they were like, you know, a thousand dollars. Now they're worth like seven grand, you know, 10 grand, yeah. you know? So he did that with easy rider. He, he, he showed the America, the whole, you know, that whole hippie slash, you know, shopper cut culture, plus the kind of rock and roll music he infused into the movie, all of that. And then he did, you know, when he did colors, like no one had ever talked about the Bloods and the Crips and stuff. Most people didn't even know what they were. But he grew. He was living in a very tough part of Venice Beach, California, where he knew about all that stuff. And when he got approached to do the movie, it was it was just a cop movie. He said, "Now nah, you got to make it about the gangs in L.A." He goes, "You do that, I'll do it." And not only did he expose the whole world to that, but essentially West Coast rap uh, was was born out of that. Nobody, you know, nobody knew who Ice-T was or any of that stuff. It, huge it, soundtrack, huge soundtrack. Yeah, but, 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 but nobody, you know, at that point, rap was an yeah. East Coast thing only. So, he, so that movie 
essentially broke West Coast rap. So that that kind of cultural impact, not that many filmmakers were able to accomplish that. But it it, it was because he was an artist, and it was because he could see trends. And you you think like as a filmmaker, you know, as a filmmaker, you make the film, it's not going to come out for like a year. So you you have to be like at least a year or possibly two years ahead of a trend, right? To introduce it to the world. Not that many people are capable of that. Yeah. I give the guy a lot, a lot of props. For sure. As a filmmaker, I'm always curious a method with Dennis Hopper, because you hear those things from being kind of wild and stuff. Is he, <laughs> is he kind of, uh, is he real collaborative or is he kind of like, how is he on set? Um, how I would describe him on set. So I'll say it overall, and then I'm going to tell you my personal experience. Yeah. So overall, he's a chameleon. He communicates with whoever he's communicating with, however he sees them, uh, how he's going to get through to them, but also where they are on the hierarchy. Right. So like if he's talking to, <clears throat> if he was talking to Robert Duvall, they talked as peers, you know, and a really good example of that was the scene where they pull up on us the first time we meet the gang and, and the kid had thrown the rock at them or whatever. Yeah. And then they, they blame it on me. And, and Duvall's character is, he has this monologue and it was going good, but what Dennis Hopper just came to him and said, Hey, you know, you, you already have a relationship with these guys. And, you know, Sean Penn's character has, has a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> and it, that's all he needed to say. Yeah. To Duvall. He took the note. And then the you know, next take, he's like, put that shit away, man. And it just informed how he talked to us from that point on, you know. And it made the scene. So that was just like actor to actor, you know, with respect talk, right? Now, me, anything I did, most of the rest of us, the little gang, he would, he would, you know, be pretty intense. The, 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 uh, this is a, here's a story. So the first, so the first scene we ever shot was in the, um, what they called the power plant where, you know, the guys, the guys trying to get us out of the gangs and, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're doing the, you know, the, you know, you know, doing the monologue, you know, my, my gang is S Primero Holmes, blah, blah, blah. Right. So he, he calls us into the room. He's got this cigar. I'm going to, I'm going to grab this to, for an effect. And he's like, this fucking movie means a lot to me, man. Because they think I'm making a cop movie. But I'm making a movie about the gangs. And he just fucking scares the shit out of everybody, right? It's like, and, but but like, we're like, you know, so kick ass. So then Gerardo has this monologue. His first day on set, Dennis Hopper comes at us like that. And then he has a monologue. That's tough. Like, you you know, you you try to make it easy for an actor on their first day yeah. so Gerard, so he's just keeps making gerardo do it again and again and he's giving him no direction no direction and gerardo's dying and and he looks at me like courtney like what the fuck should i do <laughs> and i don't remember what i said to him but i you know i tossed him acting by that point and stuff and i came up to him and i gave him a really good note i forget what it was though and then dennis hopper saw me and he's like he would always, he would always call me by my character's name he goes whitey get the fuck away from my actor and I and I'm like, all right. He didn't know that Gerardo and I knew each other. So the next take, Gerardo fucking kills it. He goes, cut. No more takes. He fucking looks at me like, the fuck did you say to that guy? You know. <laughs> and, and from that point on, he was tough on me, but like, but like he got the most out of me too. Like he saw me playing guitar. He was going. He was going to the bathroom at the trailer. I was sitting on the stairs playing guitar. Filed that shit away. The girl talks to him about, hey, can I play a song in this thing? He's like, yeah, there's, goes, cool. Goes, Whitey, go get your fucking guitar. <laughs> you know? And the next thing you know, I'm fucking a cholo jamming music. I'm like, you would never see this. This is not supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and people still to this day fucking write me going, what can I get? Where do I get a copy of this song? Love guarantee. I'm like, I have no idea. I didn't write it, you know? Um, But, but it's like he filed, he files away. Nothing gets past that dude. And he puts it to work. He makes it art. Like in that movie, he uses every beautiful mural painted in East Los Angeles. You know, he uses the watchtowers. Like he, he, you know, he shows the art even in that world. You know what I mean? Cause he's an artist, you know? It's it's very raw, and right? that's why I like. It's like a great. It's it's perfect. Like the California, it's like you know you you know how Scorsese has his New York. You almost yeah. like the Hopper California to it. It was the first movie to really show you know, to show that. I mean, I'd seen lots of movies before that that tried to do it, and it was always they always looked terrible because I grew up in it. I knew the difference, and that was the first movie that you know really caught it. And all the extras were all real bangers, you know. And those guys would keep us, you know, in line if we were like, you know, I mean, we had this dude, I forget the dude's name, but it was with us in our gang. If he didn't like the way my pants were creased, he'd get out a fucking comb that he had and he'd re-fucking crease my pants because that's how they do it. Really? You're just like, fucking, that's dope, right? It's like, like, they they wanted to make sure that we were representing them right, you know, and I was all for it every step of the way, you know, but like that, bringing those guys in created an authenticity that you just hadn't seen before, you know? Yeah, very cool. You, you have any stories about uh, Trinidad Silva played Frog? He passed away like right after. College. Yeah, it was tragic, man. I mean, he he was so great in that thing, and that was so gonna so gonna break him out. I mean, he he'd had that character in, in uh, Hill Street Blues. Marilo, yeah. you know what you're talking about, you know. And then and that's why I was curious, like, how is he gonna take that and then do this? And I thought he created a, such a different character, but so authentic. He was just a really great guy, really easy to work with. Really cool, really chill, and I just loved the choices he was making. And it was really a tragedy because I thought that film was really going to open some doors for him. You know, he was so good in it. He was incredible in it. I, 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 I yeah. Best line, man. After we do the, we we jump the dude, which I also got yelled at for that because I wasn't leaving. He's like, "Why did he get the fuck out of here?" Because guy, because brother comes in, and he's like. You fucked up, Holmes. You joined the gang. That's just fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's not yeah. what you would expect him to say, right? It's like yeah. the exact opposite of what you'd expect him to say. Yeah. That was that was my favorite. You fucked up, Holmes. You joined the gang. <laughs> yeah, they jumped, they jumped his brother in. Yeah. Very trap. Yeah, I think UHF, I think, was the last thing he did. I think he was shooting that when he got hit by a, a, like a drunk driver. Not a car accident, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, tragic. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he was great. It's uh, yeah. what's uh, Louis Guzman? He would have took yeah. the Louis Guzman roles. There'd be no Louis Guzman. Yeah, you had, uh, they, yeah, you're right. They probably would have been competition for each other. Brother, <laughs> brother, brother. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the Burbs real quick, and then I sure. want to jump into some music. I love the music. I've been listening to it heavy. Uh, oh, cool, cool, cool. But the Burbs, oh my goodness! One of I gotta say, it's probably one of the greatest comedy films ever made. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, well, if you love horror and you and then you like, you know, that's your that's your kind of comedy, you know. Yeah, and you know what? It hit me right at the right age when you're you know, you're young enough where like you can you got the horror mixed in with the comedy and it's okay, you know what I mean? Uh, Not a big yeah. issue. Yeah. So how'd that come about with Joe? You know. Meeting Joe Dante and all that. How was was that an audition process or? It was it was a meeting. So again, at that point, I was on a pretty good run, right? I was pretty hot, right? And uh, so so I got called in to take a meeting, and uh, we just discussed the role, 
and he gave it to me. And it was it was weird to be at that point. It was like before that, I had to audition. I still have to audition to this day for various things. Some some are offers, but I was at that point where I was taking meetings. And I don't know what he saw in me, why he picked me. I, I really can't tell you. Um, maybe something I said, I don't know. But uh, he, had, as far as my character went, he had a huge hand in shaping it. He he told me lots of things. Like he's like, I want you to come up with this like this like you know dialect that people can't quite figure out what it is but it's like eastern european and then he's like go to the hair people i'm gonna have them cut your hair like this go get your go go to these guys get some teeth done yeah. go to the go to the wardrobe people here's these and, then, and they would have all these ideas and then he would not have to come back to him with like the, the teeth after the haircut or whatever and he started laughing and he goes you're never gonna work again you know he was hilarious and uh, but he really you know gave me physicalities and Everything he really shaped what he wanted, so I so in that way I didn't have to figure. A lot of times I have to figure out my own wardrobe choices to some degree with the wardrobe artist or this and that. He really provided a lot of what he wanted in that regard. My my the biggest thing I brought to the party was I worked with a, an animal essence, which was the a scared deer in the headlights. And if you watch the film, you could see that. You could yeah. see that that's exactly what this guy is. He's like a stranger in a strange land. And that worked for me. Um, but I, I, I'm certainly always grateful for uh, him casting me. And I worked with him a couple times. And I would work with Joe anytime. He's, he's a great guy and, and a great talent. And uh, it was, the, you know, speaking of strikes, there was a writer's strike, right, when we started shooting that film. And uh, I was too young. I had been working so steady. I was too young to actually – Realize how lucky I was to have a job, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was us and Fletch too on the entire Universal lot. It was it was like a ghost town. Yeah, us. And again, I wasn't. I didn't really realize um, how how lucky we were to have a job. So, I know I know in some in like some pre production situations, for groups of friends and family get together. Was there ever like a Klopek family meeting or you guys go out? <laughs> No, no. I was just, I just remember the uh, producer, Larry Brushen, who's also a big time uh, comedic manager. He was the one who brought in Brother Theodore. And he's like, now, Brother Theodore, you know, he's, he can be kind of like, you know, grumpy in a chance. Don't let him, you know, turn out. <laughs> me and Brother Theodore got along like butter, you know. When they tell me people I'm not going to get along with, that's usually the people I get along with. Yeah. And he turned, he's not like that character. That's a character he created in New York, he had this thing called the Brother Theater Review that he would do in the summers that then eventually got onto Letterman. And then eventually people like Larry Brezner was like, I want to put this guy in a movie. He's a very intelligent guy. And, uh, and, uh, like he, you know, we'd say in his trailer and, you know, he'd play chess and he'd spot you a queen and kick your ass. You know, like he was a smart dude. He was, so I got along with him great. I thought, I thought he was a fascinating guy. He came, you know, his family came from Europe and all this stuff. And yeah, he was, he was very interesting. But like his brother theater, that character he created was a way for him to do social commentary on things that, that he thought was crap, which, you know, go to the record. We can talk about that's what I'm doing in this record. I'm talking about social commentary about things I think that are crap, you know, so. Yeah. um, Well, let's let's dip off into the music for a little bit, you know? All right. So, like, when, when did the music officially kind of come into your world? When did you start getting – you're always a fan, I assume, right? And then just it, – It started at the same time. I started taking guitar lessons the same time I started taking acting lessons, about 13 years old. But my intention to be an actor, a professional actor, was, you know, that was the intention. I, the, I just wanted to play music. You know, I just liked playing music. I wasn't trying to think about – I my goal was to be a rock star. 
Um, but I always played, and, and as soon as I got to the point where I could uh, you know, play decently through lessons, I stopped. So I didn't want to learn too much. I wanted to teach myself, and I wanted to write. That was that's what I really like about music. I like writing. Um, that's the that creative moment of putting a song together is is is, is I can't explain it. It's very, but it's very fulfilling. And um, it can, it comes from a variety of ways. I mean, it's sometimes it's just some riff you're writing, like uh, like the title track of the thing, Safe Haven. I just started picking up bass for this new band. I decided to become a bass player singer. And that riff, that, that, that walk down just started happening. And that's what spawned that song. Um, and it was, I probably wouldn't have written that song on guitar. So um, but other times it's some lyric you're writing or like I do this thing called morning pages that I write every morning. Sometimes an idea just starts flowing out of there. And the next thing you know, you've got some lyrics. And now you're now I'm trying to write a song that fits the mood of what that brought up. Um, and music's been therapy for me. Like my my previous band, Ripple Street, I put out a record in 2009. If you listen to that thing, it's just a breakup record. It's just all about processing that process. That's where I was at that time. That's what I wrote. This record, though, is definitely more of a storytelling record and more of a, a things that I want to point at that I think are, you know, a little little shallow, a little lame. Like bill, billionaires in space is, yeah. is, is sort of mocking the billionaire space race because yeah. I'd like to see those guys do something better with their minds, like to help the on, on planet Earth. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. so um so that you know that was just a topic that was hot and just and that was my take on it was like this i think this is kind of like indulgent you know so um there's that song and uh uh there's a song called the healer that's told from the point of view of a plastic surgeon you know trying to talk to a woman what what he can do for her basically he's god and he can you know he can create her prettier than yeah you know, you know so um, there's just a variety of things like that. And safe haven has multiple meanings, everything from how important it is that we just have a place, a home, you know, we take, you know, there are people who don't, you know, it's how important it is that we have a space to come home. That's a safe space when we're, you know, outside the world, but also music has been a safe space for me. So it's about music and it's about anybody's, whatever that thing is. Some people it's watching the birds. Like I know people whose families like watch the bird. Like it's their family movie, right? Like, or when they're depressed, that's the movie they watch. That movie is part of their safe haven. You know what I'm saying? That place where they can, when the world kicks you in your ass, that you can regroup, right? Yeah. We all get kicked in the ass, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. you know, there's good shit happens in life and there's bad shit happens in life. It's just how, 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 how quick can you get off the campus, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've always loved music. It was one of the, you know, it's one of the it, expression. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's when you said it was therapeutic, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, that's what it is. I think I tell sure. people, I always tell people like, uh, like if I'm talking to somebody and they're like down and out or something like that, I say try and do something creative. You know what I mean? Because I think if you create something and you can be proud of it and go, whoa, I actually did that. Like I think that's a, a, a first step. And like feeling better about the situation, so to speak, if they're feeling, you know, like worthless or whatever, all those beautiful things depression can bring. And, well, it, um, yeah, well, it helps process it, too. Right. Because yeah. art, you know, is happening on a subconscious level as much, if not more than it's happening on a on a conscious level. You know what I mean? It's working. 
it's work. I call it like somewhere back here. You know what I mean? Like stuff starts. It's like the shit that happens in our dreams, right? We're processing stuff, right? So it's necessary. It's clearly necessary that we process or we wouldn't have to sleep and we wouldn't have to have dreams and things, you know, yeah. clearly we have to, we have to work some of this stuff because we're, we're, we're getting so much information and now even more than ever, right? Through internet and all that, that, you can get yourself all worked up, man. You know, it's like yeah, you yeah. got to pull back and observe and, and see what's going down. Um, I think art, because that's why if you, if you, if you just don't judge it, right. You just, that's the key is you just don't compare your shit to something. If I, if I try to compare myself to fucking Rush or Led Zeppelin or, you, you know, forget it. You won't even write a song, right? It's right. like, don't do that. That's <laughs> just whatever you, you, you know, whatever's coming through you is coming through you don't judge it and but that being said it then takes you know it's harder than like you know i put this album together and now i'm putting it out and hired a pr team and i've gotten a few good reviews now but like you know the moment of truth when you finally put that you work on this thing and you work on this thing and you you finally get it out there and you're at the point where like i don't know if this is any good or not like i can't right. even tell anymore i've been in there mixing yeah. and shit for so long i don't even know but get it out there and hopefully somebody will like it at least one person might like it and if you make one affect one person's life as an artist, I think you're successful. You know, I really do. And like I said, so far I'm getting really good feedback, which has been very cool. And it means a lot to me. So Yeah. That's the beauty of art, man. I remember like when I whenever I'd have hard times back in the day, I'd throw on a movie. And that's what I really fell in love with with movies was the fact that it could pull you out of kind of, you know, it could help pull you out of for an hour and a half or whatever, it'll kind of pull you out of whatever you're going through. Right. It's, hey, it's the same reason pe- people are always trying to get out of their own skin, whether they're meditating or do drugs or watch movies yeah. or listen to music. It's because we just we get sick of ourselves. You yeah. know? <laughs> we want to like escape this reality for a while. But yeah, better to do it on a positive way than do it in an antisocial way. That'll just make you worse in the end. Yeah. Won't solve the problem at all. When I when I listen to the music, I hear like some folk, some rock, even some like grungy, heavier stuff. Like, what are what are? Can, can you break down the influences? What do you got? You got them, or are they they just? Because- no, I, yeah, I don't, I don't write that way, right? I can't think like. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to be like, like I know somebody who worked at Brian Adams, and he would say like, okay, this song's like an ACDC song, you know? Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. It, worked, it worked for him, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he succeeded, right? And that's cool. That's how you, but that's not how I do stuff. I do stuff through feel, right? And like, yeah, some of it seems to have like a bit of a surf vibe, right? Like, and stuff like that. I didn't consciously go for that. It's just what happened. I'm not, I don't, I don't come from there. So I, I my, my influences are, are wide. I, I talk about it. Like, I grew up again in a Chicano neighborhood. So I grew up around oldies. And oldies, I think, are great in terms of songwriting. When you look at like, you know, Carol Kane wrote a lot of those songs and stuff like that. They have real structure. So, so I think that structure got into my subconscious, you know. Um, one of my favorite songs is Aaron Neville's Tell It Like It Is. That song kills me, man. Yeah. And his voice. If I could sing like Aaron Neville, I would sing like Aaron Neville. Like if you could like, but I'm not going to sound like Aaron Neville, brother. Yeah, that, <laughs> that falsetto he can do is just otherworldly i don't know even how he gets there you know what i mean so you have so I, I i love you know i love him but i know i can't be him that's the same way i approached acting like i had to study marlon brando and monty cliff and james dean to, to understand method acting but i knew right then even when i like 15 years old i am never going to be as cool as these dudes right like these right. dudes are like, they got this good looking thing they got this charisma thing that's why they're leading men 
but I can understand the technique they're using and I can put that to work in my own way. So that's kind of how I approach the music too. Like I, I'm not going to be Led Zeppelin, so don't even bother trying. Right. So, and I think that some, some musicians fall into that trap. They get too caught up in like how somebody else did it. I just, I go for the feel. I go for a feel and whatever comes out, comes out. And again, I try not to judge or try to go, is this good? Is this bad? Cause from a, I look at it from a creative point of view. If it got created, it got created, right? It's like, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, there's this place in the, there's, they found this place in the universe that is kind of like the birthplace of the universe where it kicks out shit. Mm-hmm. Like literally the, the, and 80% of it doesn't fucking live. Yeah. So it's like, even the universe is kicking out shit that isn't any good, right? So it's just yeah. like, it, we just creatives just have to create, man. It's, yeah. That's what I've learned as I've gotten older now. It's like, I'm not going to stop doing this. There's just no, I can't, you know what I mean? I'm going to keep acting. If somebody wants to have me in something, I will keep doing it. If, uh, if I have a guitar and I, my, my fingers aren't too arthritic that I can't make a chord, I will be writing songs. And whether somebody else likes them or not, or I can get them out there on what level, I can't control it. You know, I can just put my best foot forward on that stuff. But the actual creative component part of it, which is a pure thing, which is not a monetized thing, which is not a fame thing, which is not any of that shit, is just, to me, it's somehow connected to this creative thing called the universe, to be honest. I'm with you. And that, you know, comparing yourself, the expectation is so heavy when you compare yourself to other things that, like, I, yeah. I tell my son, don't compare your like because of Facebook and Instagram. Don't compare yourself to somebody else's highlight reel. For sure, because that's why people are getting depressed, right? Like, yeah. like a lot of these teenage girls and stuff on Instagram, because they're looking. Oh, look at this! They're living a better life than me. Or, oh, this person gets more hits than me. Or oh, this person's better, prettier than me. When they're doctoring their shit up to make it look like that, and and they're falling for it. You know, they're falling for this this BS story. You know, yeah. uh, it's 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 not relevant, man. Yeah, you know, it's really not. But it's, it's a shame that yeah. If you start, if you compare, I mean, we all compare ourselves. We all right. we all do. It. And look, if somebody's like a great actor, they do a great job. I'm not gonna lie, I get jealous. That's the highest form of flattery. Ultimately, is when I get jealous of their work. <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but it doesn't stop me. It just makes me want to do better. But there are some people who they see somebody's talent is so vast, and they're like, I can never be that good. Why bother? Yeah. Why bother? Because you know you need to express yourself. That's why. Express yourself. That's right. <laughs> I, I do that all the time. When somebody says a phrase, I start singing a song. I, I love it, dude. Love yeah. it. <laughs> Alex, we got you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's grab a comment while we got you. Oh, yeah, before you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to ask was that uh, you were um, in the movie Faster. Um, yeah. You played the uh, telemarketer. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you uh, got, uh, how should I say, roughed up by the one and only uh, Dwayne Rock Johnson. Yeah. So how was that? How, how was that uh, that uh, scene? I'm going to tell you a story. So this this is good because this is going to encapsulate uh, uh, him. And, and so the first scene we had to shoot was the scene where we have them and we slit his, his brother's throat, right? You know the scene I'm talking about? Well, after they yeah. robbed the bank and we've got yeah. them, right? So, yeah, he gets his throat cut, and then Dwayne Johnson goes, no, right? Like, that's the scene, right? The director had him do that for, like, three fucking days, right? Now, I'll tell you, if it had been me, after the third take, I'd have been like, what do you want? 
Yeah. Like, just tell me what you want because I don't want to do this shit no more. Like, this is painful and yeah. hard and I'm blowing my throat. Just, what do you, and I'll do it for you and then we can move the fuck on, right? But Johnson, not once did he flinch. Not once did he have an attitude. Nothing. Three days. No. no. Yeah. And, I mean, I couldn't believe it, right? Like, he, so he sets the bar, right? The leading guy is just like, whatever you want. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. So, finally... We're done. Like two and a half days in, we're done. So now we switch to my side, right? Yeah. I, I have this all this dialogue, right? I get like three takes, two takes, whatever it was. Drake goes, cut, moving on. And at this point, I already could tell Dwayne Johnson is a cool dude with a great attitude, right? Yeah. And we've all been going through this, the entire crew and him, right? We've all been in the cast. I turn and I go, see, man, that's how it's done. And the fucking whole room's like, <laughs> God, he starts laughing. Now, there's not that many leading men you can do that to. You understand what I'm saying? It was like we we all needed that fucking laugh. You know what I mean? Because it had been like intense for like three days. Yeah, yeah. But that just sums it up. He's he's chill, man. And I, on that note, he was the first guy to pony up for the actor's strike. He put a million dollars into the acting fund for actors that are going to be struggling to pay their rent through this. And I, I just... I was so fucking impressed. I mean, I know he makes a lot of money, but a million dollars is still a million fucking dollars. Yeah. And he and he just quietly made his statement. He put his fucking money where his mouth was and said, "All right, this might take a while, you know. Let's keep it. Let's keep y'all going." Uh, and then and then the, several other actors followed suit, but he was the first guy to pony up. And I think that just tells you where he's coming from, man. I just I really do. I I like the guy. I would work with him again anytime, man. He always came nice. up. Nice. Yeah. 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 That's cool. that question because I, I, I love to tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> Three days. My God. That's like Kubrick type stuff. It was. It was. But like, it never broke his spirit. He never questioned. Was like, you want another one? I'll get another one. And it showed his like years of playing football and being coachable. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like yeah. just. Let's let's go. Yes, sir. You know, he just had that mentality of being coachable, which which just showed a lot to me, a lot of humility, you know, because he could have certainly just said, that's fucking it. I'm not doing another one. Moving the fuck on. And the because he's the lead of the movie and he's, yeah. you know, but yeah. he didn't. He didn't. He just set the tone that like we're all in this together and we're going to do it till we get it right. You know, it was awesome. All that, you know, wrestling, too, is heavy paying dues. I mean, yeah, you'd rather go through that thing getting slammed and slammed and slammed, you know what I mean? But I'm I'm glad to hear that story. And like, were, were you kind of, you know, it's a, it's an iffy thing because you see a, someone who coming over from a sport, you know what I mean? And, and someone who's been acting forever, you know what I mean? And, I had seen, it, but I had seen enough of his work by then. And there was yeah. some work that he did where he took some real crazy chances and yeah. did some fun stuff that I was like, this guy's, He's bold. Like, he's not afraid of the moment. Like, you know, you saw it in his character, you know, saw it in his character of The Rock when he was wrestling, too. You know, he, he, oh, yeah. he, he knew how to work a crowd and all of that, you know? Yeah. But some of the roles I'd seen him do way before then, I, I, what I was interested in in that role, because so much of the stuff he did was a little more, you know, family friendly, like Tooth Fairy and all these things. I actually worked at the director, did that as well. Uh, this was like a more heavy role, and the cast was a more heavy cast, and, you know, bringing Billy Bob Thornton in and, and uh, I was like, all right, let's this is a good this is a more gritty role for him. You know, this is, let's see what he's going to do with it. I was just there to support that, you know. Yeah, I thought the movie came out well. I thought it did, didn't do great in the box office. It's done. It's you know, it's gotten out there, though. And it was on TV for uh, played a ton for a few years. But I thought it was a damn good film. I thought it came out pretty well. 
by the end, The Rock is going to be the president, and I'm going to vote it, for him. It's, yeah, if he ran, I would vote for him, too. But I wouldn't be surprised. I uh, might start as governor of California like Arnold did first, yeah. right? And then parlay that into running the country. And every everybody loves The Rock. The Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is like, it's hard to not like that guy. You know what I mean? it's, it's true. It's I true. Alex, it's it's a pleasure having you here for so long. <laughs> Do you have any other questions? Don't jinx that? it. Don't jinx yeah. it. Please, I'm begging you. Don't jinx it. I'm fighting over yeah. here. For- I know you are. You, 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 <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> that explains it. You did it. <laughs> He's a maniac. So Safe Haven, October 2nd, it comes out, right? Yeah, so the record Safe Haven comes out October 2nd. Uh, you, you can only get it on Fake Fang Records. So you got to go to fakefangrecords.com, I guess, or whatever. You'll be able to find it. And uh, you again, you can listen to the whole record three times. If you like it, you can digi-download it, or you can get a CD. And like I said, it'll be a, a there's exclusively signed CDs. And if you if you pre-order with Lookout, it's coming out uh, uh, on Monday. And I, that song, I would say, is a, a if I could do a music video on Lookout, it'd be like very 40s, very film noir. Because it's kind of oh. that kind of story. Uh, about a boxer you're supposed to throw a fight, you know, kind of deal and what happens. Very cool. Yeah, so you can check that one out if you like it. You can pre-order. If you pre-order, you get a personally signed uh, CD. So uh, he's back, we think. He's back. Uh, <laughs> acoustic Gains. I'm hoping. I rock, I rock that when I make breakfast every morning. That's how. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's After. a more personal record. That's acoustic. That's a little, little most of it's you know a little more personal. That yeah. was the first foray starting to track some. I started, I started, I put a little home theater thing together, you know, and started tracking some songs and learned a lot and then tracked some more for this one. And now I'm at the point where I don't want to track in my own home again. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's hard. It's cool, but it's but you can, you can. It's just, it's, it, but it's been a process. And that uh, acoustic games volume one started that process. So. Was that like a COVID recording? I know you said it, did the you know, it, 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 did all, it did all start during that time. I think like everybody else during COVID where you start realizing, whoa, man, this might be it. Shit. Yeah, Scary. Yeah. Like, what is it that matters to you? What is it you want to do? And what came up was music, you know, because I, ha- I had a lot of material. I've been writing for years and I've put some of it out, but I have a lot more material that I hadn't put out. And I was like, I really want to get this stuff out there. And then I started, you know, you had the time, started looking at and started realizing the technology is at the point now where you can buy equipment relatively cheap and you get Pro Tools now almost for free, which back in the day cost like 20 grand. So it's become a, a more doable uh, thing to do because that's really what stopped me was just the studio cost yeah. and the pressure being in the studio. It's like you're, you feel like by the hour you're losing money and it's just not doesn't feel creative. You know, yeah. I was like, I can do vocals at my own time. I can do as many takes as I want. I could just I could just ease into this and do my thing, and I think that 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 actually helped me a lot. But yeah, that's when it started, and that led to during that time I put out that five song of uh, five singles on Spotify and all that of Acoustic Games Volume One. Also, my band I still had at that time, Ripple Street. We put out four singles, one even about January sixth called The Great Divide that we were just we were going to put out, and then the sixth happened, and we, I just put it on YouTube like immediately because <laughs> we almost had the video done. I was like, we're right here. It was, it, the song's just about. You know, they say you got to choose this or choose that. You know, no, you know, you got to be for gun control. You got to be, you know, guess it. You got to be, you know, but no, that's not it. You know, it's like the divided, divided, they conquer, united, we stand. I mean, that's, that's really what's up, you know? So I wanted to say something about that because that's all I'd been hearing during that whole time. And 
I don't know if anybody's heard it or gotten anybody's ear, but that was my point of view on the situation. Um, but so we put out four singles with the band Ripple Street, and then that then I started tracking this last record at the end of last year, and then it took a lot longer to finish than I thought, and then finally I was able to get the, this record label to pick it up, and we're finally letting it go on October second. And then uh, I also have a band, the Courtney Gaines Group, which you can find on Facebook. For the last nine months, we've been playing, you know, you know, we here in, in Savannah, it's a tourist town. So there's lots of bars and restaurants and things to do gigs and all around here. Southeast, like, really supports music. So now I have to play, uh, you know, like three sets a night, three 45-minute sets a night, covering 70% covers, 30% originals. And I'm, it's all a bit about getting my chops together for that when we, we're going to go out and start to promote this record next year the best we can. Just got a booking agent, so going to start that whole process. But I wanted to be ready. You know, I wanted to be, uh, you know, uh, band rough and ready so that when we hit the road, we're not going to suck, you know. So we're coming along really good. I'm really happy with it. If you go on, if you go on the Facebook page, Courtney Gaines Group, you can uh, you can see i got lots of clips up there of different things we've been doing. And uh, we're a weekend warrior, steady gigging bound. I just had a gig last night and uh, keeping it going. And so next year, we're, we're going to be ready to rock and roll. Three-piece band. I'm playing bass and doing vocals. Got a guitar player, a really good drummer. Got two really good other guys holding it down. And we're going to do our thing. Let me know if you come out to Boston. I'll shoot the show for you. you there you go. Sounds good. I will. I'll write that down. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, we. I think we will. I don't think the Boston's got Boston's not out of reach at all. Um, matter of fact, I'm doing a I'm not doing many conventions this year because of uh, next year's the Corn 40. So that's going to be the big one. Yeah. Also, Swan Song. I'm going to step out of the convention world after that. I've been doing it like 15 years. I'm ready to take a break. But it's been good, but I'm ready to take I just don't want to travel, and I don't get on planes anymore if I don't have to. But uh, but I'm doing the thing called PhantasmCon on October, October 28th at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Yeah. So I know that's not that far. That's probably like an hour or plus, right? Yeah, yeah. Connecticut, so, uh, the Mohegan Sun's like an hour plus, yeah. I know. You should let me down. I'll get you in. Word up. Hell yeah. So I've done, also, I used to shoot uh, a bunch of rock and hip-hop shows at, up at the Middle East. And uh, I'll send you, I know Ned, who, who, who I think he runs downstairs. Maybe we can get, maybe that'd be cool. The Middle East, that's a club? In Cambridge, yeah. Oh, Cambridge, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my my drummer's from Connecticut. Okay, cool. Yeah, we want to play them. We're going to try to lobby to get the Mohegan Sun to, the, to give us a gig. They have a, they have a room that's, you know, it's decent, like it's a, not that big, but we were like, we could, we could fill, fill it. You know, not the big room they have, but the, the smaller one, the, uh, I can't think of the name of it. The bear, uh, the, the wolf den, the wolf den. Honestly, we can get to play the wolf den. I like the stage, uh, but I think we can fill that room up because, because my, like I said, my drummer knows a lot. Of, you know, has a, has a following in Connecticut, so hopefully that'll happen. But yeah, yeah. I'll ju- I'll jot down some clubs around this area that probably yeah, be please, guys please do, course. please do. Yeah, definitely sure. looking to figure that all out. So, yeah. so that's what it's all been ramping up to. That man, it's all been ramping up to promoting this record next year and tying yeah. that in a bit with the core and 40th anniversary and just work it all. So I think next year is going to be kind of crazy. Hell yeah. <laughs> good, crazy good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody go check out the, the Facebook pages, you know, go check out fake fang uh, records. Yep. Uh, dot com. Uh, Safe Haven, October 2nd. This Monday. Well, I, when, I, when you guys hear this, the, the first single will be up on the website. Check it out. You know what I mean? Uh, Courtney, this was an absolute pleasure, man. We, uh, 
we we wrap. We usually ask one question to wrap up, and we kind of touch base a little bit on it throughout the episode. Alex, do you have any more questions? I don't want to cut you off. Either you here? Well, no, no, not really. I mean, uh, I loved everything I, I've been hearing, and I'm, yeah, I gotta say, I've been a big fan for a long time. So yeah, it's you, great sir. to listen to these stories and uh, see uh, see uh, your point of view. Yeah. Right on. So our last question is we got a whole bunch of, you know, we got filmmakers, musicians, authors, artists of all kind that listen. And we always like to ask, you know, for any, if anybody's going through like a slump or a hard time, like with their creative endeavor, like do you have any advice for them that might kind of keep their head above water until like, you know, the sun comes back out? Yeah, man. Just ask yourself why you're doing it. Right. It's like, if you're doing it, are you, you know, there's a lot of people who come up to me and say, I want to be an actor. And I'm like, well, then act. Go on the street and do a monologue. Like, nobody's stopping it. Like, yeah. you, you know, you don't, no one can stop you from being creative. Creative is not a monetary thing. So is it about that you're trying to be famous? Is it that you're trying to get loved? Is you trying to get respect? And, not, and all those things are fine. I mean, but just if you're being dissatisfied, is it a, is it about that you're not getting the recognition or is it about that you're afraid to put your shit out because you might get squashed? Like, cause that's the other side of it. I know a lot of talented people who are afraid to put their shit out. Mm-hmm. I've seen painters that their shit, that are really good and the shit never leaves their house. They won't do a showing, things like that. So I think a lot of people are afraid to, to fail, you know, and you know what? Like I said, the universe kicks out a bunch of stuff and 80% of it fails. We're not always going to succeed. Not every song is going to be great. Not every script you attempt is going to work. Yeah. And that's all part of the process, man. It's all part of the process. You can't, you can't get better if you don't make mistakes. If you, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You got to learn from them and, and you, and you got to be willing to work at it like a craft. It's like good writers will tell you they get, they go in every day, what they feel like it or not. And they write for three hours. And as they said, a lot of it's garbage, you know, but it's how they become better writers. So it's, that's what I would say. I would say it's like, you know, don't let, don't let the world and, and, you know, this, this capitalist monetary thing dictate what you do and just get your stuff done and don't be afraid to put it out, you know, fuck the trolls and yeah, fuck you know, put it out there and you never know. You just never know who you're going to impact, man. I mean, like, you know, when you said I'm listening, you know, your 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 acoustic record for breakfast like that blows me away. I'm like yeah. you're kidding. Like that's awesome. If that it all helps make your day this much better. Fuck yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. That's great advice. You know. Well, Courtney, thanks for being on the show. We'd love to have you back sometime when Alex's camera's working a little better, so you can go <laughs> dive a little deeper into his love. Yeah. Sounds good. I know he's a fan, but the weather was uh, working against him this evening, but. No worries. Next time we have something to talk about, we'll do it again. How's that sound? That sounds great. All right, folks, we hope you enjoyed that episode with the great Courtney Gaines. That was a lot of fun. You know what I mean? Catching up on the films. A lot of great stories, man. Dennis Hopper. I love Dennis Hopper. Whenever we get to hear a nice Dennis Hopper, some Joe Dante stories. My God, just stories all over the place. You know what I mean? Frog, my boy, Frog, rest in peace. Yeah. My boy, Frog, rest in peace, dude. Um, and I'm not being disrespectful. I, the, the very, you know, huge fan, huge fan. Um, Trinidad Sh- Silva, my boy. All right. And that dude was incredible in the film. Um, but yeah, very great interview, dude. Courtney's a super nice guy. 
Uh, like I said, dude, uh, house across the street, nothing but professional and great. I uh, caught up with him again at a convention, I think, later in life at Rock and Shock. I think maybe the last year of Rock and Shock. Super cool dude. And uh, the trifecta number today on the Boom Basta cast, it's a beautiful day. You know what I mean? The sunshine and bright. You know what I mean? One of these days, one of the, we're going to ask the guests, what do, what do you do? What, what should people do? What's advice for if you're going through a hard time and you want to get a little pick-me-up? And he's going to say, you got to watch the Boom Bastard cast. And that'll make it all right. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. lumpy. I'm lumpy today. I got me and my lumpy body are bringing in the new year earlier. You know what I mean? So, Alex, what do you got to say? What do you think? I I had a lot of fun. I mean, uh, Courtney is a very uh, interesting guy, and he had a lot of great, uh, especially. I mean, as, as you you said before, with at the end, we always ask the same question: What's your advice to deal with uh, you know the down downturns and the you know agents not calling, not booking gigs, and everyone has a different different opinion or different advice. And uh, I really liked uh, Courtney's where he's saying, you know, just go out and act, go out and create art. He says that, you know, I to be creative, you you can just do it. I mean, you don't need someone's permission to it. Right. And of course, unfortunately, how everyone monetizes everything in the world. Yeah. Everyone tries to put the um thing of that you're not doing anything you're not creating unless you're getting paid for it and don't get me wrong i get getting paid for you know doing creative stuff is awesome yeah but the question you have to ask yourself is are you doing this to become famous or rich are you doing this because you actually love the art and i think courtney myself and Matt both have to agree on this uh, uh this uh, aspect that it's for the love of the art at least for us at least for us because i mean whether we become rich or famous or we don't it's it's what we love to do it's our passion and that's why we do what we do hell yeah hell yeah unfortunately you know in this in the filmmaking world every now and then you meet some people that care more about uh Funds than money, you know what I mean? Which is even more crazy when the money's not even that crazy. Yeah. Same thing, I'm twisting you. I'm going crazy on you. That might have to be uh, touched up a little bit in Photoshop or something. But, you know, as we progress into the end of the show, we always thank everybody for listening. You know, it's a pleasure to be able to bring you great episodes like this, right? I can call it great, right? I have a split personality, so I can call it great. I just woke up. It's great. My other personality just woke up. But, yeah, this was great. He's <laughs> the man. Uh, gigantic fan forever. I love having people on the show that, as a kid, before we even realized we were going to get into, like, entertaining fans of these people. Courtney's one of those people, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, working with him was a great pleasure and, and Great memory and uh, one of those things that I'll always cherish. You know what I mean? And speaking of cherish, great song off of the Acoustic Gains album, Cherished. One of my favorites. I think track number two. Maybe three. Yeah. It's number two. And uh, I do listen to that uh, that EP while I make breakfast. That is no BS. That's for real talk. 
and uh, it's great. It's it's like a chill, relaxed, you know, it's acoustic, which is nice. You know what I mean? I love all types of music, and uh, you know what I mean, definitely. So for Shizzle, is there anything you want to say in closing, my friend? Uh, nothing, just that uh, it was great talking to him, um, and I'll get by everything that he's been a part of, the music, the the film. Mm-hmm. I And I think we've been lucky that we've had a bunch of different people on the show that jump between the music and the film. I mean, Tom Proctor is a perfect example. Yeah. And and it's always fun seeing when when when, when you have people that are creative, you're, it's you're, always fun seeing them right, doing something other than what they're known for. You know, like you know, someone who's an actor who's who's doing music, or someone who's Known for something else, being also a painter. Yeah. You know, that stuff I always love uh, because it proves that uh, the creative personality, I mean, can't be just pigeonholed to just one aspect. You have to find different aspects of creativity flow, whether you, you know, do it as a writer or as an actor or all of the above. I, I'm with you. For sure. <clears throat> you sound like you're broadcasting right from uh, Slab City, which is problematic. It's breaking up a lot. You know what I mean? But unfortunately, I think the time has come for an end. You know what I mean? Because we're journeymen. And we're going to rock and roll and do it big. All right? So we're getting out of Slab City. We're going to Safe Haven. Everybody be on the lookout. The new album, October 2nd. All right? FakeFangRecords.com. Go check that out. Support your boy, Courtney Gaines. When you see him at conventions, go support him, buy an autograph, say, hey, tell him you love the Boombasticast episode. And when he hits the tour, when he goes out on tour, go to those shows. You'll be hearing about us in the audio apps talking about it. And when they come by, you best believe we're going to be up in there. And uh, kudos to that the Boombastic crew. Shout out to the Boombastic crew and Butterfuco on the boards. Uh, new movie in the works. You guys will hear about that soon. And uh, thanks for the support from everybody. If you will want to go support more, go ahead up the Patreon page like we were talking earlier. You get all our podcasts, all our films. It's the future. And then, of course, more importantly than anything, support Courtney Gaines because he's the man. All right, Alexander, I'll catch you later. We'll catch everybody later on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Mmm.